This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hi, welcome to Health Check. This is Joyce Teo and we're going to talk about modern ways to monitor the heart. Today, we can easily find heart rate monitors in wearable devices like smartwatches and fitness trackers. As Singapore shifts the centre of gravity in healthcare from acute hospitals to the community with its preventive care strategy Healthier SG, such wearable technology will become more popular as they enable us to take charge of our health. But how should we use them and can we trust these devices with our lives? So with me here in the studio to discuss this topic is Clinical Associate Professor Ching Chi Kyung, a senior consultant at the National Heart Centre, Singapore. He's also a board member at the Singapore Heart Foundation. Hi, Prof Ching. Welcome to Health Check. Thank you for having me here. So let's start. Can you introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, I'm uh, Chi Kyung. I'm a heart rhythm cardiologist at National Heart Centre, Singapore. I also volunteer for, with Singapore Heart Foundation. I'm, I'm now the Assistant Honorary Secretary for their board and I kind of help them with their Heart Safe Committee, where we strive towards making Singapore a nation of lifesavers. Mm, okay, and wearable tech will be a key part of it, I suppose. Wearable tech is prevalent, you know, it's available everywhere. Mm. Everyone could lay their hands on a smartwatch, a wearable tracker, mm-hmm. a portable ECG or a blood pressure measuring machine. Yeah, it's prevalent, and I think we should use this technology to help monitor our health. Mm-hmm. Like an alarm bell, so to speak. Right. So do you yourself monitor your heart health with your phone? Uh, not enough, but I do wear a watch. I have an Apple watch and mm-hmm. I use it to track my jogs, my exercises. I track some of my heart rates um, just to have a sense of mm-hmm. how it develops or how it plays out. I see. Actually, how do these ECG readings taken with a smartphone, right? compared with the traditional ECG taken in a medical setting? Okay, in the medical setting, we take a 12-lead ECG, and it means there are 12 tracings. Looking at the electrical patterns of the heart in various directions, and we have a 12-lead, so it's a fairly comprehensive and holistic way of looking at the electrical system of the heart. The wearables only record one single lead, so one out of 12. It gives a clue as to what the rhythm might be. So it gives a what we call a qualitative survey of whether the rhythm is normal, is it abnormal, by looking at the rhythm, make certain diagnosis, but it is limited because it's only a one-lead ECG. Whereas a 12-lead ECG in the medical setting give us greater perspective and is more empowered to make more diagnosis. Mm, okay, but at least that one lead is accurate, is reliable. Yes, uh, there are watches and gadgets that are HSA approved mm-hmm. or USFDA approved. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the Apple Watches, the Samsung ECGs, I suspect the FitSense 2 and the Garmin ECG watches are regulatory approved, which means they have a certain uh, accuracy and a certain standard and precision uh, for us, for physicians to make a fairly reliable diagnosis, of course bearing in mind its limitations and caveats. So, okay, so if I measure it and then I bring it to a doctor or a specialist, it is something that you can use. Yes, if you bring it to a doctor who is specialized and fairly experienced in reading ECGs, he mm-hmm. could make up whether it's normal rhythm or abnormal. And if it's abnormal, how abnormal or how urgent it is to be referred to a specialist for further uh, investigations or workup. I see. Okay, let's talk about how to read them, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I just recently tested this ECG reading, right? You hold your phone for like 30 seconds and it says sinus rhythm. The first time I saw it and I panicked. I thought, okay, maybe I have something, some problem. 
So can you explain what, what it is, you know, when should people be worried? Yeah, I'm only familiar with the Apple Watch because I, I wear one. There are only three diagnoses on an Apple Watch. One is sinus rhythm. It means normal rhythm. It's a medical term for normal heart rhythm. If you see sinus rhythm, uh, you should be reassured. It's normal heart rhythm. The other would be atrial fibrillation. Atrial fibrillation is an abnormal rhythm involving mainly the upper chambers of the heart. It's chaotic, it's irregular, it causes the heart to pump in an uh, inefficient, quick manner. It's a very common abnormal rhythm, more so as we age, compounded by, for example, presence of hypertension, lung disease, concomitant heart disease, or other disorders like thyroid disorders. It may trigger atrial fibrillation. And the third diagnosis is called inconclusive on the Apple Watch. It's meant to be like that. As with all this wearable tech, they want to be sensitive, which means if they cast a net, they will catch folks who have abnormal rhythm. In the process, they will catch a lot of people with normal rhythm. So there might be a, a certain degree of false positive uh, readings. I see. So, that, you know, at what stage should we go and seek help? I mean, for okay, so at least when I read this, there was a message there. It says if your heart is above 120 ppm and four, below 40, right? If your heart rate is below those levels for more than 10 minutes while you're at rest, you receive a notification. Well, it depends on the watches that you have. Uh, I think you have to set your own notification and at what limits would you want to be notified. It could be a heart rate of less than 40, a resting heart rate of 120 beats and above. Um, yeah, you could set that. As to when should you see a doctor? Mm, if you have symptoms, for example, unexplained palpitation, which means while you're at rest, having a good... No, a relaxed time and your heart races for no reason. If you measure your heart rate, it goes to beyond 120 beats per minute while having a relaxing dinner or a conversation. If those are symptoms which is inappropriate for that situation, maybe you should see a doctor to have it accessed. Or one has near fainting episodes. You know, he's well, suddenly he felt he's going to faint, see stars, he's going to black out and recovers quickly. This may be signs of a very slow heart rate, then have it evaluated. Now, if that patient or that person has a wearable gadget and is able to document a heart rate, or even better, example, the first patient with palpitation, say a person's heart rate is racing at 130 beats per minute at a relaxed situation, if he has a portable ECG, a watch, and records an ECG, that gives valuable clues as to what that rhythm might be. If it shows up, to be an abnormal fast heart rhythm, such as supraventricular tachycardia, which means the heart rate is going up very fast for no reason at that rate, we could make a diagnosis reliably with that single lead ECG. Mm. Of course, in cases of doubt, um, the doctor may prescribe more established diagnostic tools, a wearable holters, a wearable ECG for 24 hours, for seven days, where you could record more than just a single lead to ascertain the diagnosis. Right. So we were talking about when to see a doctor, which you're saying, because sometimes the results may not be accurate, right? So let's say if you're looking at the app right now, right? And if you have normal sinus rhythm, the line is going to be quite flat. Okay, so right? we were, I was showing Joyce a, a heart rate variability. There's a trend and the Apple Watch that I wear tracks the heart rate variability, which is a beat-to-beat -beat variation in heart rate. It charts it. And in certain conditions like paroxysmal atrial fibrillation, as mentioned, atrial fibrillation, it comes in paroxysms, which means transient. It comes on, it goes off. And by the time you see a doctor, the person has reverted to normal rhythm. You can't catch the atrial fibrillation. It is a ECG diagnosis. That 
heart rate variability give us a clue. Uh, we, we know that in, when a person goes into atrial fibrillation, the heart rate varies greatly between each beat. So the heart rate variability becomes very, very high. And when it goes back to normal rhythm, for example, you know, when you're sitting down, resting, with the heart rate 65, as you get up and walk, it goes up slowly to say 75. The beat-to-beat -beat variation is very little. Right? So you see spikes in heart rate variability. Give us a clue that something is going on. We can't make, quite make a diagnosis, but give us a clue. And the alarm bell is rang. And the doctor would then you know, try to do more tests, an appropriate test, to make a diagnosis. Earlier you were saying, okay, if you monitor it over a period of time, then at least the doctor will have like a record of your, the history, right? So yeah. how long do you have to actually monitor your heart health for? How long should we monitor mm. your heart rate or ECGs or blood pressure before you show it to a doctor? The longer, the better. The more data you have, the better idea the doctor would have over the trends. Example, if you were to chart your blood pressure three times a day, for example, or at least twice a day, uh, the doctor is able to look at how your blood pressure reacts to situation in the morning versus at night and then adjust the medication accordingly. Likewise, for heart rate, the, the more data, the better. I have patients who come to me showing their iPhones, you know, uh, what they have recorded or Samsung ECG watches. I, I look at trends, right? It's not just a heart number, but look at trends. For example, does a patient have unexplained very fast heart rate? Number two, if their resting heart rate goes up for no reason. We know that during the recent few years, when a person has COVID infection, it's a stress to the body. And the natural response is that the heart rate goes up. So those are trends. And when they recover, it tends to come down gradually. So these are trends that we look at. I also have patients who tell me that they're worried about their heart rate. You know, it goes up very fast. When they ask for objective data, and on the phone, it shows that it was like 80 to 90 beats when they are walking. That's a fairly normal reading. And that could serve as a way to reassure the patient. Uh, apart from assessing or listening to the symptoms, we look at some heart objective data, like heart rate, like blood pressure. Those are useful clues for us. Right, so that means what you feel may not be actually your real situation. Palpitations can be described as a sense of rapid heart rate, or some describe it to be pounding. Mm. and hard and fast. I think those sensations are real. To augment, to add to that data or that symptom, heart rate would be very useful. If the patient feels the heart is pounding hard and fast and by this 80 beats per minute, which tells us it's not fast. And there are other conditions that overlap with that kind of sensation. Uh, periods of stress, as we know, you know, before I take an exam, I feel my heart goes a little faster and harder before I come for an interview like this, you feel know, the heart goes a little faster and it pumps harder too. Right, if yeah. you don't have symptoms, everything is fine, but it says inconclusive. Should you just wait for maybe a week, a few days? You have to decide for yourself. If you feel it in doubt, in any time, anytime you're in doubt, you have a question, go ahead and see a doctor. You know, GPs are readily available, doctors are available to help you know, assess that ECG for you. Right, but as long as it's between 40 and 120 beats per minute, we're fine, right? Again, I treat a patient, not just a number. An athlete will be very comfortable with a heart rate of 40 beats per minute, but may not be so for someone with a weak heart. Mm. Right? So I treat the patient. So not just a number, but the symptoms. And then with that, other assessment, the heart rate trends, and ECG will be useful. Uh, that will tell us 
uh, whether that heart rate is appropriate for that patient at that situation. Mm, okay, but say for the general public, what kind of range would be appropriate? Um, older folks could have a low heart rate of the high 40s. I think that's quite normal. If you are to, were to climb a flight of stairs now, you know, get out of the room, walk up flight one flight or two flights of stairs, the heart rate may go quickly up to about 100, 110 beats per minute. That's also fairly normal. And uh, for young folks who run, you know, the younger they are, the higher the heart rate that goes up. So it um, depends on the situation. Roughly, you know, less than 100 while you're at rest, more than 50 would be a good figure. So we mentioned symptoms, but atrial fibrillation may not get any symptoms, right? Uh, okay, we have, if you're talking about atrial fibrillation, uh, which is one of the most common abnormal rhythm, you're right, uh, some patients uh, may not have much symptoms because when they go into atrial fibrillation, the lower chambers of the heart or the ventricles are not pumping fast. So they adapt to it. But most patients, when they have atrial fibrillation, and it starts in transient forms, which means it comes and it goes off, most patients would feel it. They would feel a, the heart is pumping fast and irregular. With that, they have a sense of breathlessness. They are not able to walk as fast or as long as they could previously. Uh, it kind of limits their activities. When the heart goes back to a normal rhythm, which means from atrial fib back to a normal rhythm, they find that, hey, the symptoms are gone. Heart becomes irregular. Uh, they're able to exert as much as they did before the episode. So these are telltale signs of atrial fibrillation. It's in the transient form, it's extremely difficult to make a diagnosis. As mentioned, by the time they see a doctor, they may have been restored to a normal rhythm spontaneously. And the ECG done then would be normal rhythm. And you can't make a diagnosis or can't relate the ECG during the episode of the palpitation. So for such patients, if they come to the hospital, we will prescribe them uh, wearables a more sophisticated wearable ECG monitor over a period of time. And in the event they get an AFib or atrial fibrillation episode, we are able to document it and hence make a diagnosis. For such situations in patients with palpitations, wearable ECGs adds to mere symptoms. It adds heart rate to the episode. It adds ECG documentation to the episode. And it helps the doctor make a diagnosis perhaps earlier and help us make a more precise diagnosis. So which group of people should use all these wearable devices to monitor their heart health? Patients uh, with symptoms, palpitations, for example, uh, that would be useful. I know of friends who use this to track their fitness. So that would be useful too, to track how they do with their walks, with their runs, and how they are doing with their fitness. For those with heart disease, wearable tags are very useful in keeping track of how they are doing. Heart rate is one. The blood pressure would be a good tool. And when they have symptoms, when the heart goes fast, irregular, or they skip a beat, an ECG recording would be useful to correlate that symptom uh, to the ECG. There are also other gadgets that we could use, you know, for example, blood pressure machines. Right? We need to know the blood pressure and help titrate or adjust the medication. Weight is very useful. For someone with heart failure, for example, we tell them to weigh themselves at the same time every day. For example, first thing in the morning. And if they suddenly gain 3 kg overnight, we know it's not muscle, it's probably all water. And they need a, a, perhaps a little early intervention to reduce and increase water excretion and perhaps prevent an episode of heart failure. 
If they have diabetes at the same time, they are wearable gadgets, a little patch they could wear, non-invasive on the arm. It measures the blood sugar level automatically. Uh, and my friends who have tried that told me it's fairly life-changing. They could see how their sugar spike with a sweetened beverage, with certain fruits or food. And uh, with that, they are quite keen and quite happy. Or rather, it, it prompts them and they, they are keen to then make lifestyle adjustment to reduce sugar spikes. So I think they're all variable or rather useful variables that one could rely on to better track their health and better perhaps control and manage their medical conditions. Mm. Would you recommend maybe people of a certain age, say the older population, use these wearable devices to monitor their heart health? In terms of population epidemiology, where we look at you know, the cost of doing this versus the benefit, currently I feel that these gadgets are no longer you know, inaccessible, isn't it? My position is that if a person is able to access these gadgets, uh, then learn to use it. Where BP machines are readily available in most households, please use it because it is better to use it, have an idea of the BP trends, and if it's higher than usual, to seek treatment, then not know about it. Likewise, if someone has a fitness tracker and monitors your heart rate on a regular basis. I think it is okay to track it and then correlate the heart rate to the activities and read up about how heart rate varies throughout the day and whether the heart rate the person has is appropriate for that level of activity. Importantly, is heart rate that is appropriate for the level of activity. At a relaxed, calm uh, encounter, dinner or tea, heart rate goes up to, for example, 120 beats per minute for no reason. That's a heart rate that is, which is inappropriate for that situation. And perhaps that's in a trigger and the person should track and correlate whether this gives symptoms. And if it does, if it bothers him, then have it assessed. So I think at this day and age, all these gadgets are readily available. It's hard to avoid not using it. So it's better to learn how to use it wisely and uh, make full use of the information that you glean from it. Right. Better than nothing. Yes. So especially when you have no symptoms, right? This will actually help you. And if you have symptoms, this is an additional tool that you can use to kind of find out whether you have a problem or not. Exactly. I want to give a, a shout out to the uh, final year students of NTU Wikimedia School of Communication and Information. They partner with Singapore Heart Foundation and they are going to work with Badok CC to do a Heart Check 1-2 campaign. And they'll be holding a free-for-all walkathon event for the residents in Badok CC. The health promotion board who partners them will provide free fitness trackers uh, to participants for use during the walk. They will be taught how to track their steps and their heart rate and help them to you know, tailor their heart rate during exercises to achieve the best out of the aerobic exercises. So when is that event? On the 18th of Feb, uh, 2024. We'll be at Badok CC. Okay, that's great. Thank you for your time, Prof Ching. Oh, my pleasure. Well, that's a wrap for Health Check, a podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm Joyce Teo. Don't forget to share this podcast episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to read my articles, we have links in the podcast text description below. Send your feedback to podcast at sbh.com.sg. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
or within our Straits Times app. Thanks for listening.